0: in the training division here at the Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation at Boston University. We're going to spend the next hour answering your questions about the topic of disclosure and accommodation in the workplace. Please post your questions in the chat box and we will answer as many as possible during the hour. We do ask that you please keep yourselves on mute. The contents of the webinar were developed under a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, which is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. And the contents of this webinar do not necessarily represent the policy of NIDILRR, ACL, or HHS, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. The territory on which Boston University stands is that of the Wampanoag and Massachusetts people. We offer this land acknowledgement as a way of inviting truth into our conversation over the next hour. Our speaker today, Melanie Wetzel, joined the JAN staff as a consultant on the cognitive neurological team in 2008. She has a 14 year history of teaching and advocating for students with disabilities in the public school system. As a member of the cognitive neurological team, she specializes in learning disabilities, mental impairments, developmental disabilities, autism spectrum disorders, and brain injuries. She presents nationally on topics ranging from mental health impairments to conduct conduct and performance issues, learning disabilities, ADHD, brain injuries, and more. She's a certified brain injury specialist and completed a graduate certification in career planning and placement for youth in transition. And now I'm gonna pass it over to Melanie and she's gonna talk a little bit about Jan and then we'll we'll go right into your question. So so take it away, Jan, (laughs) take it away, Melanie.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you. So Jan stands for the Job Accommodation Network. We generally refer to ourselves as Jan. It's a lot easier to say. Our website is ask, A-S-K, Jan, J-A-N, Org. We have a huge website, easy to maneuver, um, information, lots of information. We have an A to Z of disabilities. Uh, you'll see in the in the um menu on the front page, the home page. That's probably the easiest, best resource that you will find. Uh, you can find information there by disability, by um limitations. So if you don't know if it's not anxiety disorder, if it's not depression, you just want uh, accommodation ideas for memory or concentration, then you can go there and look those things up. Um, Jan is a free confidential consulting service. Uh, we, you, When you call, uh, you'll get a PA. Right now, it's not really working that way. I probably shouldn't have started out that way. Right now we're all working from home still we, we've gotten a new phone system it's not really up to working exactly the way it used to work in our office. So you can call and leave a message and someone will get back to you. Our process is to get back in touch with people within 24 hours and we've been able to do that clear through the pandemic. Um, if you want uh, immediate attention and, and an answer you can get on our chat there's a red box on our homepage that says live chat click on that and you're right in there. You can get answers to your questions that way. We have a channel on demand, which is a a, like a form that you can answer questions to and send in as an email and then we send you an email back that's really good. uh, Because the more you information you give us if you answer specific questions, the more information that we can give back to you. And when we say confidential, we do have a database we keep information in you can call us anonymous. Uh, you can contact us as unknown, or you can contact us with your name. It goes no further than our our database. And that way, if you call back repeated times, we can find that information. We can look at what we sent you. We can look at what we talked about. And so we can keep that kind of as a running record. Um, We are a nationwide service. Again, it's free. Call once, call 10 times. It's free. And we're all specialists in different areas. So when you call or contact us, you're inquiry or question will be sent to the to the right team we have a motor team we have the cognitive neurological team we have sensory team and then we have a self employment team so your question will be sent to the team that it applies to and then as consultants we have specialties as well so your question goes to the specialists on that team so that you get the best answer that you can get. If you have accommodation questions, if you have ADA question, we're not a legal service. We cannot provide legal information. Um, we're, we're a project through the Department of Labor, uh, the U.S. Department of Labor, um, through the Office of Disability Employment Policy. and um, But we're not a legal service. But we can provide you with information. And if we don't have the information, we can refer you to someone who can help you. So that's Jan in a nutshell.
0: Excellent, thank you. Just wanna remind people, if you have questions, please post them in the chat box. Um, Our first question, Melanie, can you talk about anxiety and how that plays into the return to work for people who've been working from home and are now now required to go back into the workplace?
1: Sure, that's one of our major uh, topics of questions. Um, You know, a lot of people have anxiety A lot of people have been able to manage their anxiety, maybe not even disclose that to an employer until the pandemic hit. And that maybe caused enough disruption in our lives that people who were able to manage their symptoms by themselves maybe are not able to now. And working from home, that was beneficial to a lot of people, Um, you know, for lots of reasons. You can control your environment, you know, I mean, to a degree, you can control your environment, the noise, the light, the people. Um, you know, it may limit your social interaction at work, which for people with anxiety can be really helpful. Um, and so once employers are calling people to go back to work, one of the things we've, we've tried to really emphasize is that it's not a one size fits all. Um, different people need different things when they go back to work and accommodations should always be provided on a case by case basis. Uh, You know, three people can have anxiety disorder, but they need different things in the workplace. And depending on their job and what that environment, workplace environment's like, it it can vary greatly. Um, You know, we have questions like the employee says to their employer or their supervisor, you know, I'm I'm really stressed about coming back because of the pandemic. Um, I have anxiety disorder. I'd like to talk about that. And the employer says, well, you know, we've taken every precaution we can, so it's safe for you to come back. Well, for that employee may not be as safe as they would like it to be, or maybe they need to know exactly what the employer's done to provide those uh, assurances of safety. And so the employer really needs to have that interactive process, that dialogue with the employee to find out what is it that, that you need to make you feel safe? Here's what we've done. Here's how we can assure you that you're safe. Tell us your concerns. You know, is it something that you need beyond that? And they may be able to work that out. Some employees are still going to be able to work from home as an accommodation. Just because everybody's called back to the office doesn't mean that an employer can't accommodate someone with a disability mm-hmm. and allow them to work from home or continue to work from home. Now, one of the things that we discovered over, the, over this time was you know, people were sent home quickly, in a hurry, without a lot of preparation, and maybe they weren't able to do the, all the essential functions of their job, and that was okay for a limited time, but now the employer may need them to get back to work so they can do some of those essential functions. Um, under the ADA, employers don't have to remove essential functions. They can, but they're not required to, and some of them did for this period where people were at home because they couldn't do certain things. Mm-hmm. But just because they excuse those for a short time doesn't mean that they're excused permanently. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's an issue to talk about, that maybe the person can go back into work one day a week or two half days a week or something like that. And, and that's a negotiation. They can talk to the employer They can if they know what those tasks are. And the employer can figure out how often they need to be there. Um, You know, if they're essential functions, the person probably does need to be doing those because the employer doesn't have to remove those. But marginal functions maybe could be moved around and switched between employees and and maybe traded off so that, you know, I can do these things from home and somebody else can do some of my things while they're in the office.
0: Great. And then this is kind of a nice segue to, to the first question in the chat box Is there a standard process for requesting accommodations? or does it vary from workplace to workplace?
1: Well, under the ADA, there's no set way. The ADA just requires that you disclose your disability, ask for an accommodation, and if the employer requires medical documentation, then you provide that medical documentation. There are no official forms. You don't have to use official language. You don't have to say, "I, I have a disability and I need an accommodation. You certainly can. And we recommend that you put that in writing. If your employer has forms, it's good to find out from HR if there are specific forms that you need to fill out. Mm-hmm. If there's medical forms that your doctor needs to fill out. Um, if not, you can start with a letter. We have a sample letter on our web page. It's just simple. Um, and we would, we would suggest saying, I need an accommodation due to, uh, you know, uh, anxiety or disorder. That's a good way to start. But it can be very simple. You can say it. in in verbally to an employer, but we would say that you would wanna follow that up in writing just so that you have the documentation um, that you did disclose, you did ask for an accommodation at that time. It can be as simple as saying, hey, I'm, I'm having difficulty getting to work on time because of some medication I take, can I talk to you about that? And that triggers to the employer, puts them on alert that, hey, somebody's asking for something related to a medical condition. If you just say, hey, I'm having trouble getting to work on time, the employer might think, okay, well, you know, are you staying out too late? What, what's the deal? But if you relate it to medication or a medical condition, then that alerts them that it is or could be an ADA issue. And so that would be the best thing to do. If, you know, federal employers have their own paperwork. Most state governments have their own paperwork. And, and a lot of other private employers uh, do as well. But if not, you can start out with a letter. And just explain that the medical documentation you do have to provide that if the employer requires that. Some employers will say, "Well, you know, if it's something quick and easy, we don't we don't get medical information. We just provide that to all employees. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that's more costly or more involved, they might uh, want to get that medical information. So be prepared to provide that." Um, in California, they can't ask for your diagnosis. A lot of people don't want to give a mental health diagnosis out unless mm-hmm. they absolutely have to. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll say, okay, well, you could start a little bit more vague. You can say that you have a mental health impairment or your doctor can say that. Uh, really what's more important than the diagnosis when you're providing medical information are the difficulties that you have, the limitations. If you have concentration issues, um, if you have memory problems, that's really more important to the employer than just knowing that somebody has depression, because that could mean a lot of things. And so the more specific it is with the limitations you have or the difficulties you're having on the job. You know, I have difficulty writing reports every month and getting them done on time because I have difficulty remembering how to do those. I, a template with a checklist would be really helpful for me. That would be more helpful for the employer to help them understand what's needed.
0: Actually, um, the next question is, what what if uh, you don't know what accommodation you may need? Is there a way to see a checklist to think about them?
1: Um, Okay, that's a really good question. And that's where Jan comes in. We have publications on our website um, for anxiety, for depression, for PTSD, for bipolar, for learning disabilities, for uh, shoulder impairments. I mean, there are over 200 publications there. And they have common accommodation ideas and there, there, there's a lot of them and they're, they're listed by concentration, by memory, by, by different limitations. So you can go in and look at those. I would suggest not turning in that whole thing. Some people said, you know, I turned in your whole publication uh, as accommodation ideas and my employer like flipped out and I'm like, well, yeah, cause there could, there could be like 42 things on there. Nobody's probably gonna need all of those. And so we would say get on our website and look at those and maybe at first limit it to three to five maybe of the things that you need the most look at what is going to be the biggest impact on your job Um, and it's a continuing process you can ask for accommodations next week next month it's not like you have to ask for everything right now and that's your only chance and so i think it's better not to overwhelm the employer with a hundred different things, but have that conversation. Here are some things I think would be helpful. And, and, it, and it is a negotiation and it's an interactive process and the employer should be looking to help the employee as well. A supervisor may be involved. Now the supervisor doesn't have to know the medical information. They may have to know, well, she's having problems with memory so that they can help um, provide accommodation ideas. But, you know, they know the job, they know what the employee's performance is, and they can be real helpful, too, in providing accommodation ideas. Uh, Sometimes a mentor can be helpful. Somebody who knows that job, has had that job um, that can help, you know, show some little tips or some ways I do this that makes me more efficient uh, can be helpful to somebody.
0: Great. And someone did ask for um, the JAN uh, website and contact info. So I did put that link in the chat box for people who need it. And uh, right. yeah, we'll also uh, include that if you if for some reason you can't access the chat. Uh, we sent out an evaluation after after the webinar. So we'll also include the the JAN contact info in that email as well. So if you can't get it during this hour, you'll you'll get it uh, from from me a little bit later. All right, so next question. Are there sample scripts available online to help people practice on how to request accommodations?
1: Um, well, I, I would say there aren't really scripts, but we do have videos. We do have a toolbox, a Jan toolbox that has different drawers. It looks like, a, looks like a toolbox you'd find in your garage, has different drawers and you can click on those drawers, and you can see all types of different videos. There are some videos about disclosure. There are some uh, videos on um, interviewing and uh, requesting accommodations, and and they'll show, like, the wrong way, and then they'll correct that. Like, they'll show the next video on what would have been a better way to do that for both the employee and the employer, and there are some that show a person working with a Uh, vocational rehabilitation professional. And so those can be really helpful to actually see somebody Mm -hmm. talking and what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And you can call Jan and and ask about that. We can walk you through that. We have a on our um, A to Z of disabilities in that menu, and you click on the A to Z tab, it'll come up with uh, disability, with limitations and topic. And if you look under topic, there's a topic of uh, disclosure. And we have a new module that talks about disclosure, has some of those videos in it, and that can be really helpful.
0: Great, next question. For clarification, when interviewing for a new job, you don't have to disclose your disability at the beginning. Is
1: that correct? That is correct. Generally speaking, you only have to disclose a disability when you need an accommodation and if you don't need an accommodation in the interview process or in the um, application process, you know maybe you need have to take a test and you need extended time on the test or you need to take the test in a private area you, you might need to disclose for that um, if you need to make sure that the, the building is uh, you can ask that question but, if the building's on the second floor in a, in a, or the interview, I'm sorry, if the interview's in a building with no elevator and it's going to be on the second floor, it's good to know ahead of time if you're in a wheelchair so you can make arrangements for that, then, then get there and not be able to get to the interview. Sometimes they just move it to another floor if that's possible, but it's, it's good to, to make sure that the area's going to be accessible if you have um, any accommodation needs like that. But you're right, you don't have to um, disclose at the very beginning. In fact, you know, there's a lot of guidance that says maybe don't disclose too early because it could hurt your chances of getting a job. You know, we like to think that employers don't really look at that and consider it, but there's evidence that they do. And you know, if you don't have to give that information out at first, it's better not to, at least until you get uh, an offer of employment. Once you get the offer of employment. Yeah. And you disclose it's going to be a lot harder for an employer to just yank that yeah. offer away than to never offer you something in the first place. So you yeah. would say wait a- until um, as long as possible. Now, now what what they what they'll ask in an interview, what they should ask is, are you able to do the essential functions of the position? And You can say yes. Or they should say, can you do the essential functions of the position with or without accommodations? And that way you can say yes, and it doesn't mean, it just means, it includes, yes, I could do it with accommodations. So they don't know that you have a disability. It shouldn't be on the form. You know, it shouldn't be on a form where you have to list a disability Mm -hmm. um, so that they don't know that at the beginning.
0: Now, I I think the research that I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the expert, but the research I've seen specifically about asking for accommodations for people with mental illness or psychiatric disability. Um, Most people don't disclose at the beginning, but they, uh, I think the majority eventually do disclose um, at at some point once they find out kind of who's the, you know, the safe person to talk to at work. Is that your understanding as well?
1: Well, I I think generally, yes. There are people we find out that have had such a bad experience that they never disclose and they'll end up losing their jobs because they don't want to ask for an accommodation yeah. uh, yes that's true and and you know people will call us and say should I disclose or not and we can't really tell you yes or no or when to we can give some you know negatives and positives pluses and minuses of, of how to do it and when to do it mm-hmm. and and one thing we would say is if if you want to wait you know look Find out what the environment's like. See how other people are treated. Are there people getting accommodations? You know, is it an open and welcoming environment? Do you feel comfortable asking for an accommodation and disclosing your disability?
0: And someone asked, how do you address having an invisible disability with your employer? A lot of times, well, you look fine, um, (laughs) people say, because a disability isn't apparent. Right. And
1: that's where the medical documentation comes in. And that's where employers really have to depend on the medical information. If, if the need for the accommodation is not obvious or the disability is not obvious, then that's where the medical information uh, can come in. And you're right. There's a lot of people with different disabilities that you can't tell by looking at them. You can't tell by working with them even that they have that disability. Mm-hmm. And, and one question we get is, from employers is, you know, we've had this employee that's worked for us for a while. They get the job done. Now they're telling us they have a disability and they need accommodations. Do we have to do that? Well, yeah, you have to consider it because maybe in order for them to get that job done, they're wearing themselves out. You know, they're working overtime. They're working at night at home to, to keep things and, and they really can't continue to do that. Or maybe there's some shortcuts or some things that that could be done to help them get that job done, because maybe it's causing a lot of, uh, extra anxiety and stress for them. So yes, that is something employer uh, would need to look at. But that's where the medical documentation comes in, because they, they they you're right. They you know somebody comes in, has been in a car accident and maybe lost their hand. The employer can see that and understand. Yeah, you know, we under you know we know that some things are going to need to change to help you. But with a lot of invisible disabilities, they they don't see that and they don't always. Understand what might be needed.
0: Yeah. Uh, one person asked: "Is is disclosure different for government jobs, or can it wait until, uh, um, or can it wait until we need an accommodation?" We'll no, it can there. wait. Okay. Yeah, exactly.
1: it, it it can wait. It, it's the same for everyone. Um, with with government jobs, federal jobs, there is the um, Schedule A hiring which gets you a job quicker. Uh, You might be on uh, probation a little bit longer, but it gets the process going a lot quicker. Schedule A, you have to show that you have a disability in order to participate in that. So the employer would know from the beginning and lots of federal employers will hire people with disabilities because they're wanting to include a certain percentage. But no, it, it doesn't matter. You should not have to disclose until you're ready to do that no matter who you work for.
0: And with two questions that are that are are similar or almost actually the same. Is there such a thing as disclosing too late? And then the other person said, is there a timeline for disclosure?
1: Yeah, we would say that when you when you realize that you're having performance or conduct issues that are related to your disability, that might be a good time to disclose if your employer comes to you and says, hey, you know, we've noticed you can't get your work done. You're not getting reports written on time or, you know, you can't be uh, acting what you know whatever it is you can't be doing that and that and you know that's related to your disability that's probably a good time to disclose because you can wait too long. Some people will wait till the very last minute when the employer's ready to terminate them and they'll say wait a minute I've got a disability and the employer will say well it is too late because we've talked to you about this three, four times and your opportunity to tell us that was was back then. So, if you're on any kind of a performance plan, a performance improvement plan, or they start talking anything like that, that's a good time uh, to disclose, unless you just really don't want to. But if you wait too long, EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they're the enforcing agency of the ADA, and that's what most of the guidance that we provide is based on. They said that, you know, although there's no official time to disclose, you don't want to wait too late because that it could be too late when your employer's at the last point. And so when you realize that your disability is causing issues with your performance or conduct, that's when you wanna consider uh, disclosing to your employer.
0: Next question, can I bring my emotional support animal with me even if I didn't need that before the pandemic?
1: Okay, that's a good question. And here's what I'm gonna say first is, you need to ask for that as an accommodation. Same as you would if you're asking to telework or you need specialized uh, computer equipment or anything like that. There's, there's a little confusion. The ADA, title one is, is employment. Doesn't really talk much about service animals, emotional support animals at all. And so people get confused because I go to the grocery store and take my dog. I go to the movies and take my dog. I can do this and take my dog. But to, to, to bring your dog to work is an accommodation. And you really should ask for that ahead of time and provide the documentation that, yes, I have uh, a mental health condition. Yes, I have a dog. Here's how the dog is going to help me the same as you would if you're going to telework. Here's how telework would really help me get my job done. You do that same thing and ask for that as an accommodation. Uh, we would advise that not just show up with a dog one morning and expect the employers to say, "Oh, well, hey, come on in, unless other people allowed to bring their dogs or their pets to work and that that would be something different Mm -hmm.
0: if someone has both a physical and mental health disability would request for a combination that be best done separately or together that's a great question
1: that that is a good question I, i would say you could do all that together um you could just maybe even put it on you know um that's a really good question. I, I would say as long as it's clear what you need for what, you know, if your physical needs, your uh, mental health needs, it's just so the employer understands what, what the disability is, what the limitations are, why that's gonna help you in your job. I, I would say you, if, and if they overlap some, that would be okay too. I, I would say just is, so it's clear as possible to the employer, what it is you're asking for and why is what would be most important
0: can my employer put me on leave just because I cannot wear a mask and they are requiring all employees to wear one?
1: Oh, golly, you know what well, we, we had in the beginning, like back 2020, March, April, May, oh my gosh. It, it seemed like every other question we had was about masks and, and it still is now, they're coming back because people are returning to work. A lot more people are returning to work. Here's the issue. If you cannot wear a mask and a mask is required, then the employer needs to look at alternate accommodations. They can't just put you on leave as an accommodation if they haven't thoroughly investigated other alternate accommodations that would be effective so that you can work because leave is not as effective as an accommodation as it might be one that would allow you to work because it Causes you to burn up your leave. Maybe you don't have paid leave, so you don't earn an income. So that's really not as effective as an accommodation that would allow you to work. And so the employer has to look at. So what are the the different accommodations? What 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 can we do? You know, can we put up some plexiglass uh, walls or partitions? Can we put somebody? Um, you know, I always say not to segregate them, but during pandemic, it is kind of like segregation. Can you put them somewhere to more to isolate them a little bit more, where they're not as in contact with as many people or the public? Um, you know, can they be reassigned to a position that they can do remotely? Can they telework? Can they work from home in their their position? Can they work from home in another position? Um, even if you could work part time and have part time leave. even be more effective than total leave. but if if it comes down to it and there are no accommodations and you absolutely cannot wear a mask then yes the employer could could put you on leave and we've had employees i've talked to employees who said i i want leave i can't deal with this Um, you know one employee was a respiratory therapist and said i just i can't do this it's too stressful for me i've been through too much with the pandemic i just need to leave i need a break and the employer was trying to work out some different accommodations, but they weren't just—they were not going to be effective because the person just needed a break. Mm-hmm.
0: One thing that I that I um, wonder about, and, and I'm not sure if um, there's there's uh, a lot of data out there, or maybe there is a lot of data. But um, do you know about what percentage of the time accommodations um, are denied versus um, whatever the word is? but um, it's the opposite of denied, I can't think of right now.
1: No. um,
0: Accommodated, I guess.
1: Yeah, or provided. yeah. um,
0: Yeah, the reason reason I'm asking is, um, I've done a lot of work with various um, VA medical centers and employment services for homeless veterans. And just anecdotally, it seems like the accommodations that are requested are actually pretty easy you know, related to PTSD and I just wanna be able to move my desk so, you know, my back is close to the wall and I can see the door. And I just wonder how often, you know, re- accommodations are actually fairly easy, but people, you know, for whatever the stigma or whatever reason that they don't want to, um, to request them, you know, how often um, people end up leaving jobs when, if they had only just been able to um, been accommodated, you know, would have been easy and um, so much better. But I I just didn't know if there was data out there around that.
1: We do not have that data, no. I I mean, I talked to a lot of different people who refused to to ask for an accommodation because things went really bad the last time Mm -hmm. and they end up quitting their jobs, even though they might have been able to be common. And you're right. A lot of accommodations are very simple. Mm -hmm. And we talked to a lot of employers, too, who maybe really don't understand the process and how they can... Provide those accommodations. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was talking about leave, I, I, I even wrote a publication about it because you talk to people who will say, Well, we just, when anybody asks for an accommodation, we just put them on leave. And I'm like, well, Why do you do that? Well, it's just our policy. Well, wait a minute. If they were doing their job before they ask for an accommodation, that means they're able to do the job unless something's wrong and they're not able to do the job right now. That does happen too. Mm-hmm. Um, but leave is, is not effective as an accommodation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, or they'll say, well, person was hospitalized, let's say, for depression, and they're wanting to come back to, they've been on leave, they want to come back part time. Mm-hmm. And the employer says, we, we don't have part time jobs. Okay, but the employer's, the employee's asking to come back to their own job part time. Well, that, that's a hardship. Okay, well, let's talk about that. How, how is that a hardship? Would it not be better for you to have somebody back? working half time and having nobody working in that position. You know, who's doing that work? Well, nobody. Well, you know, it, it is, is, is it more of a hardship to have somebody working three days a week than no days a week? You know, I think in my own job, if I were there half days instead of not at all, it would be, it would be a huge help, you know? And so it's really important for employers to understand and, and really think through, because I think sometimes they have new people that are appointed to positions that maybe don't really understand accommodations. Mm-hmm. Like some employers will have an ADA coordinator who has another job. And so it's not really something that they know about. And so they're trying to learn at the same time. And, and, and that's why we will say to employees when individuals call, you know, if you could get your employer, we can't call your employer. They'll say, here's my employer's name, give them a call. Like, well, we can't do that. You know, the employer has to call us. We'll be happy to talk to them. You know, suggest that to your employer. Suggest that you call together. That's a really good idea if you if you can get your employer to make a conference call with you because that way you're both on the line. We can all talk about it. Everybody hears the same thing. And the employers can really kind of walk through things and maybe better understand what the employee's concerns are and, and what... Um, you know, what some of our ideas are. But now we, we do find a lot of times that it, it seems like employers will just deny accommodations and, and they don't give a really good reason. And the employees will say, well, it's not going to cause a hardship. And, and we don't really know that. But it seems sometimes that accommodations, a lot of accommodations for mental health are not expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the leave may end up being expensive if somebody has to have off and they have to you know, hire like a temp or some part-time person or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, flexing a schedule, providing uh, checklists and and, uh, maybe a flow chart, providing a mentor, things like that are not costly at all. And I think once employers really come to understand accommodations, they they have a better idea of how simple some of those things may be. Like you said, moving a desk to where my back's sitting against the wall. Mm -hmm. I, I, this, this example comes up almost every time I talk, I talked to this guy who they, that he was fine. He was working great in in a cubicle with a partition that was like five feet tall, maybe I'm not sure, but they decided they were going to do an open environment. And so they made the partitions around the cubicles, like three and a half feet tall. Mm. And he said, you know, I was fine before. Now all I see are heads going by all the time. I can't concentrate. And I can understand that the employer made changes, maybe didn't think about how that was going to affect people. But now that it does affect people, they need to look at that. Can we put taller ones back up for people? Can we move people to an area where they don't constantly see, um, you know, people's heads going by? And that that could be probably a really simple accommodation to make for a person. Mm-hmm.
0: Someone asked, do emotional support animals count as service animals? I've heard that they don't and therefore can't go into public spaces such as workplaces.
1: They don't count as a service animal. There's really, here's the problem. There's really no guidance on emotional support animals at all, except in public places. So what we say is if you have an emotional support animal, That is really helpful to you, can help you on the job. Talk to your employer about that. Employers need to consider that as they would any accommodation. And the the thing they really need to understand is how is that animal going to help you on the job? Just like if if you were asking for a certain type of chair, they need to know how that's going to help you do your job better. How's this dog going to help you? You know, uh, another thing they need to know is, is it properly trained? You don't have to have... um, documentation that it was formally trained. If you do, that's great. But some people train their own dogs, um, but the employer, he, they can't require that you have a documentation of training, but they can require that the dog be properly trained for the environment. And so they can say, uh, what, we, what we recommend is looking at a trial accommodation. If, it, if it's worked out that, yeah, we think this will work, Depending on you know, what the job is, bring the dog in for a trial and let's see how the dog behaves. Let's see if it is trained for the workplace. Because sometimes people say their dogs are trained and they're not. They come in and they create havoc. An employer does not have to have that kind of disruption in the workplace. And a trained animal is not going to bark. It's not going to growl. It's not going to jump up on people. It's not going to sniff around. You know, it's not going to do those things that a dog would, would normally do and that's what an employer is looking for they don't want that disruption in the workplace and they could find out in a couple days maybe in a half a day whether that dog's really trained you know for the work or not a lot of people bring dogs in and they they sit on their lap they sit right at their feet they don't make a a sound you know and the employers find that the employee is well better able to do their job with the presence of the animal there. And the, the presence of the animal does not create any kind of a disturbance or hardship or anything. So what we would say is, yes, you can ask for an accommodation, bring your dog in. And if your employer is like, well, we're not really sure. Say, let me bring it in on a trial basis and show you how effective that could be for me, because I think I can, I can do, you know, this and this, and this better in my job. And I'll show you how you won't even know that my dog is here. Nobody will hear him. He Won't make a peep. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do use an ex, a frequent example uh, of a person who had a dog. The dog was trained to growl if people came up behind him because he had been assaulted from behind, and so the dog growled if somebody came up behind him. Well, one of the coworkers came up behind him, heard the dog growl, and reported to the employer. Employer said, "You have to take the dog home." but they didn't understand the purpose of the dog. And so it's good to talk about those kind of things with the employer. Here's the only time the dog's going to make a noise is if somebody comes up behind me. And that's not aggression. It's not a, a untrained dog. It's just what the dog's been trained to do for my protection. And I feel better knowing that so that I can work better having the dog help me do those things. So that's what would be important to explain to the employer. Mm-hmm.
0: What advice do you have for individuals who work in small organizations that would be unable to financially cover the cost of accommodations such as Carter, or ASL for multiple meetings over the course of the
1: day? Um, well, that would be good to um, call Jan and, and talk to somebody. Like in that instance, in the, in the sensory department, there may be um, different accommodations that might be able to work successfully uh, that wouldn't be as expensive. Um, There are agencies that that can help with the cost. Each state has its own, um, just left my mind, I hate when that happens, AT project and they help provide uh, financing. Um, They can provide equipment that you can use so there may be something else that might be effective that you could try out to see if it would work that might be less costly. <coughs> Excuse me.
0: It is AT, assistive technology.
1: Yes, I'm sorry, assistive technology, yes.
0: All right. Um, any other questions from anyone? Throw them in the chat because we've asked all the ones that have been written so far.
1: I, I think talking about. Um, Disclosure. I think that's one of the hardest things for people with mental health conditions to think about, because especially if they've had a bad experience in the past, you know, there's a lot of stigma that goes with mental health conditions. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And so people don't want to give that information out. And sometimes they wait till the absolute last minute when if they had done it earlier, Mm -hmm. it would have saved a lot of stress for them. They could have gotten help on their job a lot earlier Mm -hmm. Um, you know when you think about if one in they say one in four to one in five people Mm -hmm. has a mental health diagnosis or at one time is going to have a mental health condition that's a lot of people that's one person in a family i mean you know in our workplace we have like 28 people that, that could be, you know, four or five people there. And so when you think about how common that is, there really should not be that stigma anymore. And now with, because most people would, would know somebody or have a family member and would be better understanding of that if, if someone were to disclose. And now with COVID, you know, we, we just, everybody's got stress. And, and I don't mean that like people who have mental health conditions are going to have really exacerbated stress with a lot of the things that happened during the pandemic, but we've all been affected by stress. So we think if I'm this stressed then somebody with an anxiety disorder could be a lot more stressed than me and we need to look at that and, and help somebody. Um, and like I said, a lot of the accommodations are not that costly. They're not, they don't create much of a hardship. It's just that it, it might be an effort to go through that Uh, interactive process to find out exactly what that person needs and how that's gonna work. And maybe what they think will work doesn't, and you might need to tweak that or look at different accommodations. And that's what that, uh, when I said it's it's like a process, you know, you don't have to disclose everything all at once. And if you have multiple conditions, you don't have to disclose all of that. Mm -hmm. If you can get the accommodations you need by disclosing that you have anxiety or that you have depression, you don't have to disclose if you have two, three or more diagnosis, you don't have to do that. You just have to disclose enough information that explains why you need the accommodation.
0: One of the things that in, in my own work, um, one of my specialties is helping agencies, hospitals, that, that sort of thing, um, specifically address structural stigma. So what, you know, what you're talking about, um, not waiting until the employee has to come to you but actually one of the couple of the cool things that agencies have done is to um, implement in their orientation uh, meeting so every new employee. Uh-huh. The, CEO, the CEO comes in and says, we understand that you know not only serving people with mental illness, but that some of our staff, you know, as you said, one and five one and four will. Will struggle with it, so please don't ever hesitate um, to you know ask for help. So they're they're not wait there's they're naming it from you know orientation on, and then also you know in their HR handbooks they'll they'll also have a blurb about um, don't ever hesitate you know if you have substance use disorder or you know mental health issue. Um, to, to ask for help. So, stru- so they're making those specific structural changes and the statements um, right up front. So all employees know, um, you know, if, if you have the perceived stigma of, oh I, maybe I'll get fired or people will not be kind to me if I disclose my, my um, psychiatric uh-huh. disability, then uh-huh. they uh-huh. actually, um, you know, are, are getting uh, support um, all the way through from orientation on. Um, to disclose if they need to.
1: Right. And, you know, a lot of employers too send out um, notices with uh, used to be with a paycheck. I don't know that anybody actually gets a paycheck anymore, but it's, they send it out through like e-news and, and just uh, blurbs or whatever they, they send out to employees that, that talk about, you know, if it's mental health awareness month, um, different autism awareness month. Do things like that, talk about issues so that people feel like, okay, they're going to understand this because they're talking about it. And I think the more that they do talk about that, you know, stress if they have an EAP program, which is an employee assistance program, stress Mm -hmm. that. What what services the EAP can provide to people and how that can be helpful so that people know that they have a resource to go to when they they need help. Mm -hmm.
0: One person is asking, what if your employer says your accommodations would be too expensive? Being blind, the computer programs I need may be seen as too expensive.
1: Well, um, if, if it's really a hardship for the employer, then they can look at alternate accommodations. And so that's where Jan can come in uh, to help as well, because maybe there are some some Um, different things that could be helpful and I I don't know I'm cognitive neurological team not the sensory team but the employer can't just say no it's too expensive we can't do it what they would say is we don't think we can provide this for you at this time let's talk about is there something else we can provide how do we help you if we can't provide this for you Um, and and so that process should continue and look if there are alternate accommodations, if there are other ways to get that um, assistive technology, if, if, if like the state, your state project can help with that.
0: Okay, well, looks like we do not have any more questions. And so, um, just to remind people, I will be sending out a uh, survey about uh, feedback about this webinar. uh, Yes. I'm sorry. I just wanted to mention that we do have um, someone who has raised their hand. um, And and just put it down. Okay. I am name. And I don't know what we thought about me. I am name. And I don't know what we talked about. Yep. So, um, so he was, he, he, uh, joined us late and is, I think is asking about what the theme for the call is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so, um, this, this, we actually did record it. So, um, you can check out our website. We're going to be posting what you missed, uh, but we were talking about, um, the, the topic of, Um, accommodations, and disclosure in the workplace. And so yes, I will be sending out uh, a survey, and I'll also include uh, my specific email address. It comes from Eventbrite, but I'll add my email address, so if anyone has any questions or trouble accessing the, um, the video of this, just shoot me an email and I'll help you out. I would love to thank Melanie Wetzel for her expertise today, taking the time to join us. And a big thank you to Melody Reefer for uh, tech help today. And um, we will see you all next time um, in a couple of months. I think we're gonna try to do our next topic on supported employment programs, cause we got some questions about that um, recently. And so, so look for that in the next couple of months and Thank you all for joining us.
1: All right. Thank
0: you. Take care.